out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the singer-songwriter, guitarist, the one and, one and only Leslie Woods, member, one-time member of the Au Pairs, but he's currently a, um, he's doing a solo tour. Supporting the Chameleons starting on the 20th of June 2023 and coming to Norwich on the 28th of June at Epic Studios. This tour is running to July the 11th at Warrington, the Irish club, for those making a note. Anyway, she's um, got a, yes, over two weeks of touring. So this is the interview with Leslie. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that really was... The last time she's played music after her time in the band, she went into another career and has recently picked up the guitar again. Anyway, Leslie, tell us more. Tell us everything. I supported Lena Lovich at a London gig. Uh, it was not a very big gig. I was meant to do a tour with her, but the promoter cancelled the tour because there weren't enough ticket sales. So that never happened. But it made me... By being offered that tour, I went and bought a Fender Telecaster electric guitar. Still, yes. I had an electric guitar, but it wasn't very good. So, I, so um, yeah, I, so I did that. And what else was there? And then I did a little spur of a few local little gigs a few years, oh, God, maybe about 10 years ago. But I don't know. I just thought, oh, it's not going down very well. It's not that great. So I just kind of left it and then left it again. And then during COVID, I just got back into it a bit. I started doing a um, music production for women course, like learning how to use Ableton, which yes. is a digital audio workstation, which I had, but I didn't know. I had on my PC, but I didn't really know how to work it. I didn't know what to do with it. So that kind of got me understanding a little bit more about Ableton, but still, I mean, it takes years to become a boff. But, um, yes. Yeah, but, I, I'm, but yeah, and then I kind of thought, oh, I want to <clears throat> start gigging again. I want to do some gigs. And um, I put some feelers out, and then I got offered um, to, some, I got invited to play the Grow Zone Festival in The Hague in February. Um, that was the first gig I'd done in quite a long time. And uh, I thought, oh, that's nice of them to ask me to play that. <laughs> I thought that was very kind. And they paid me really well and really took nice care of me. I went over on Eurostar. And um, so I did that. Uh, <coughs> I was interviewed by John Robb from The Membranes. Yes. Who's just written a book about goth. Yeah. Do you know about it? Oh, I do, yes. It's, it's, he's on my radar, and um, I've got a copy. And um, yes, Have you read it? I Well, what happened, I'll confess then, because John Robb's got this book out on goth, and I've done an interview with John a few years ago about the membranes in his musical world. So I've just been saying, yes, I'd love to feature you. And then Kathy Unsworth has also written a book on goth, which came out last week or two weeks ago. Called... Actually, oh, my God. It's yes, goth, goth, goth. It goth. is. It, it's it's a goshy bit of a goth. goth. Goshy goth. 
Gosh, oh, so 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 Kathy's is this little wonder called Seasons oh, Season yeah. of the Witch. Well, he has got some serious competition there by the looks of things. Yes. <laughs> His so, book is so dense. My God. It's great. I mean, I've just I mean, I'm a fast reader and I'm I'm on page 66. <laughs> Taken me <laughs> ages to get to there. I think it's got very small type. The book right. very dense. I mean, I've just been reading about Iggy Pop, which is very relevant. I mean, I've been to see Iggy Pop years ago, and um, I had no idea he was that mashed up. I mean, I had a feeling he probably was quite off his head, but God, it just sounded. And then I had no idea that he ended up sleeping on the streets. You know, yes, I well, I've got think, to that bit. But I think quite a lot of people that. I've interviewed, especially from the 80s and punk bands, you know, those those kind of L.A. punk bands or New York punk bands. I mean, most yeah. of them do sort of end up, you know, quite sort of disturbed. And after five, eight years, you know, in a band, but they also have completely no money and no kind of trade. So they've got no particular skills apart from being in the band. Yeah. But they've also got a, a drug addiction as well, which is not a good combination. And so most no. there is quite a lot who do end up on the on the streets living in, you know, especially well, end up dead. End, end up, up dead. dead. Yes, yeah. there, there's, there's that. Well, he's done very well, Iggy, to get the radio DJ spot on Radio 6. At least he's got a nice regular income now. Yes. So with your with your musical moment now, let's talk about the current. This have you are you going to be going out on your own or will you be having any kind of I'm doing a solo act, a solo performance with the money they're paying. If I had anyone else performing, it wouldn't be financially viable. Listen, the money's okay. It's reason it's good, but it only works because it's me. It's yes. Only, yeah. So um what I've done is I've made backing tracks and I play electric guitar along with them and I sing. Um, yeah, so um, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yes. So you've got you this this tour that you're doing with the Chameleons starts on the 21st, which is the summer solstice. So obviously very spiritually tuned into the energy of the universe going right through to the 4th of July to Brighton coming to Norwich. So do, does it feel quite... You know, because this isn't just the old one-off gig in The Hague or, you know, support and Lane Lovage. This is quite a serious little few dates. Um, yes. Have you yeah. are you sort of, ha have you started prepping for this, you know, going to yeah. the gym? I've been doing my weights. I've been jogging. Um, I've been, I mean, I'm rehearsing a lot, virtually every day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm doing as much as I can. I don't know how much more I could do, really. Yes. Um, I mean, because I'm playing electric guitar, I'm a bit inhibited in terms of I can't really go leaping around the stage. Um, the, fender, the Fender Strat I've got is quite a heavy guitar. And, yes. And uh, I can't go leaping around, which is a bit unfortunate because I, I do like to dance. I do actually think I'm quite a good dancer. <laughs> that's good i mean you I do i mean... would agree with me but i've i've still got it you know and mm. um i would like to do a bit of gyrating but i feel a bit inhibited because of um, the guitar and also because i'm singing quite a lot in the songs yeah. i don't get much like there's it's also there's not like many instrumental breaks you know i mean it's not like if you've got a band you can 
like, you know, stand back for a couple of minutes while the lead guitarist struts his stuff or her stuff. Yeah, that's right. Did you, I mean, so was it kind of lockdown that kind of brought this kind of interest in getting back on the stage again and and potentially writing new material? Um, Well, it certainly got me, like, wanting, yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, in COVID, there was a kind of, uh, yeah, a creative burst. But I have actually written some new material. uh, I'd call it new material, but I actually wrote it quite a long time ago. But I didn't really do anything with it because I I wasn't sure if it, if I'm still not sure if it, um, if it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just really difficult to to judge something, to be objective about it. Um, yeah, so I don't know, really. Um, but other people have said that it is good and um, that I find that very encouraging. So that's kind yes. of I mean, I don't know. It's after this tour, I think I will know, really. I will know whether is worth pursuing or whether I should just throw in the towel. Um, but I think um, I've got it inside me to, to, to do this. And uh, if, it, if I think that it's gone well, I will put something out there. I'll try and get a record contract. Again, I don't hold out. I'm not expecting to get one, but I am mm. encouraged by the fact that Gina Birch just did a an album yes you know, and um what's her name um mrs smith or X oh smith. brick smith mrs yeah. uh, brick smith yeah yeah she's, she's doing she, she's done one so older women are getting out there <laughs> yeah absolutely but, yeah but i don't know if i'll get a record contract if i do that would be great because then hopefully i'd have some money to go into a studio um, and to pay people to to play on it. But if I don't get a record contract, I'll just do it myself and put the stuff out there and just do it myself. And just on the band camp. Yes, yeah. people. Did you, yeah. I mean, and so with the set that you're going to be performing, I'm, I'm sort of throwing a guess here, it's going to be 30 to 40 minutes. And is this, is it? Yeah, it's you know, 44 minutes if I don't speak. Oh, I think I think people like a bit of chat, you know. Yeah, but I've only got forty-five minutes, and they're quite strict. So yes. um, I don't think there's going to be much chance for chatting. <laughs> um, I'll just have to explain. I'll say, "Well, we've got to speak really quickly because." <laughs> Did you? Yes, you'll have to you have to go. And and with the live set, I mean, obviously, has has this been something that you've just kind of gone back to some previous set lists from only 40 years ago and thought, right, that's good enough for me. I'm going to do that one. Or do you, have you sort of spent much time working out what songs to play? Right, well, yeah, um, I picked some of the old au pair songs and kind of revamped them. Some of them have stayed pretty close to the original, like Dear John, I'm doing that. Uh, that's that's very that's the one that's most close to the original. I'm doing it's obvious. I'm doing repetition and diet. Um, uh, am I doing any others? 
I'm doing, I can't, 11 or 12. Um, I'm doing a cover version of Sweet Jane. Um, right. Uh, am I doing any other opeds? I think the rest is new material. Uh, when I say new material, I mean it's not been recorded on a record or a product. Um, yes. And one, one song is is a, a song I wrote in the last couple of weeks, which I, uh, yeah, I quite like it. Um, yes. I like it enough to stick it in my set. So. Um, and is the pro has that process been vastly different to how you were, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties? Oh God, yeah, completely different. I mean, it's also different now. I mean, everything is done remotely. You know, people sending people each other their their bass stems or their vocal stems or their guitar parts. It's all done, isn't it, remotely? Yes. Um, so the creative process is massive, completely different. Yeah. So, so with the material that you're recording, then this isn't just yeah. you with the Fender. This is going to be you with a few musicians putting no, things. No, no, it's stuck. Well, actually, no, I, I lie. On most of the backing tapes, it is um, a drum, a rhythm track, which uh, I was helped with by someone I was put in touch with by Bless's Cotton Socks. Andy Gill, that was a few years ago. Um, he knew someone who was conversant with Ableton who came round <laughs> and helped me put down the rhythm tracks to these songs I'd written. At that point, I just had a drum machine and me an acoustic guitar with a song. Um, but I had the structures and it was a case of sitting there so he would like the how many bars are there in the verse? So mm -hmm. count the bars. How many bars in the introduction? How many bars in the break after the verse? In before or how many bars in the chorus? It would be a process of sitting there with him, and he would then put down drum parts. He would ask me. He would say, "Do you like this?" And um, and I, 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 yeah, I like them. He helped me do some of the drum parts. Then. Um, the guy who put down the bass lines was a friend of mine in Brighton. He uh, knew a guy who also put down some of the rhythm parts of some of the other tracks. And then my friend in Brighton put down the bass lines. Well, he wasn't really a bass player. We've had to do quite a lot of work on his bass lines because when he came <clears throat> over to my house to record them on Ableton, I didn't know how to work Ableton very well. So we recorded them from like start to finish in one take, like mm. in the old days, um, because I just, you know, and uh, there were mistakes where he dropped notes. But um, when you get familiar with Ableton, you, re you learn how to, um, you can find a part where he's done it correctly and you can, take that and put that over there. So he did a lot of work on his bass lines recently. So when I got offered this tour, I thought, Jesus, I've got to remix all these <laughs> because to get them to sound good through a big PA. Yes. Um, so I had to get someone round because although I was by that point 
uh, more knowledgeable about Ableton. I still, still didn't feel confident enough about EQ and about compression. So I, find, I found someone, fortunately, a friend of a friend <clears throat> who came round and who um, was, I paid them, but yeah, very reasonable amount. Um, and they have helped me remix the backing tracks and um, iron out the problems with the bass line. So hopefully, touch wood, um, they will sound okay through a big PA, which is a little bit of a worry. I am a terrible worrier. Yes. Because um, uh, if they don't sound okay, I'm going to be stranded in Liverpool and I'll be on the road and I won't be able to get back to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's quite it's quite an intense tour and I can understand why because no bands want to book equipment and vans and then have days off. So you want to keep that intensity to sort of, you know, for the chameleons as well as yourself. So I can see why there aren't many. But yeah, you don't have much kind of wiggle room really do you once you yeah. hit Liverpool on the 21st you're you're very much yeah. going to be on the road and that's you know that must yeah. be quite exciting so with with yeah, sort of rehearsal yeah. with with the rehearsals how did you find your vocals did you did that sort of come back quite you know comfortably oh, yeah. I mean yeah once I started singing again yeah I think my voice is different uh like well I don't know people say do you listen to yourself um, and I don't really listen to myself from the au pairs days. On the odd occasion when I have, um, I don't, yeah, um, I think, you know, I'm singing better. I think I've got a better technique. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's okay. I've been rehearsing at the rehearsal studios on that up the road. There's a, a very, a lot of, big names rehearse there i've been going there and rehearsing and um yeah it sounds good yeah it, it does need reverb though i wouldn't, yes. wouldn't want to sing without something to wet it up but yeah, <laughs> yeah. When, i mean did you miss music when the band finished in the sort of the earlyish 80s i mean you obviously had quite a you know professional career after that yeah, I did. I missed it a lot. I really, yeah, I did. I was completely devastated when the au pairs um, split up. Um, I was, it, you know, it was like, I, I was, yeah, it was like losing, um, was like any relationship breakup, really. Um, yeah, I was uh, devastated and very um, traumatized. I also wasn't, very men I, I think I was also um not very well mentally I was a bit screwed up for one reason or another um and it took me quite a long time to uh come back to myself which is why I started doing a law degree because I felt I had to get my mind back yes and uh so I thought I'll do something really difficult um, but I didn't actually expect that to get anywhere. It was just the reason why I started doing a law degree was because I just felt like I'd gone mad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. So pre-band, you you did you were sort of was that kind of from school sixth form 
band and then after the band it was kind of back to university uh well i i left school i went to university i went to birmingham um but i was really out of my depth and um and then i met paul in birmingham the guitarist and uh i really wanted to get to do something musically so meeting him I felt like I kind of struck oil, um, but then I wasn't sure what, it was very like, didn't know what was going to happen. So I basically, I transferred to Keele University, but I was still seeing Paul and, um, and also at Keele, it's a, it was a very left wing. There was a lot of political, I don't know if Keele has a reputation for being a very political left-wing university and I got politicized so and then while I was at Keel I think we decided Paul and I to get a band together so um I didn't stay at Keel either I came back to Birmingham and we got a band together yes my yeah. god that's extraordinary actually it's like a bit like the Fleetwood Mac story here, isn't it, actually? Well, it's just like Fleetwood Mac. Lots of <laughs> cocaine up my anus. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, rock and roll, you know. Um, yeah, so that's that's extraordinary. What were you studying at that stage? Were you, were you before you became a radical lefty? Um, at Keele, I was doing a foundation year because I that was like something one did if one hadn't quite worked out what one wanted to do. Yes. Um, but at Birmingham, I was doing a combined French and philosophy degree. But as I say, I was completely out of my debt. Yeah. And I met, um, <laughs> I got in, I met, made friends with a bunch of um, drama students who were all really funny and were into jazz and introduced me to people like Joan Armour Trading and music and jazz. And I had a great time with them. Um, and they they looked after me and took me to gigs. Um, and uh, so I stopped going to lectures. If I hadn't dropped out, I would have got thrown out. Yes. Really. But I still had a great time with these drama students. You know, yes. we put on shows and um, we had a right laugh. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I would imagine, yes. I mean, at that stage, at that you know, when you're at that age as well, and also yeah. you you were obviously getting a grant as well. So, um, oh yeah, did, I got a grant in those days. Yeah. What did you when you were growing up? Did you have a kind of was music a big part of your life? You know, in your sort of, I don't know, the early years, even your pre-teens, because mostly we have a bit of a musical moment, don't we? I mean, mine of being of a certain age was the the glam world of. You know, the early 70s of Sweden, Sladen T-Rex and Gary Glitter, obviously. But um, luckily, David uh -oh. Bowie, I yeah, know. I saw but... Gary Glitter live. Yes, well, you know. to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I guess, yeah. Yes. Yeah. What was what was your kind of, what was that kind of moment for you? What were your moments where music started uh, to sort of play well, something? I, I always wrote songs and I, I, I played and then, then I started learning guitar. I le started learning classical guitar. And then I, when the classical guitar teacher left the school, I started learning how to play chords and had guitar lessons. Um, and then I started writing songs and I remember playing school concerts 
And then when I was about 16, I joined this, <laughs> this duo of got two guys who played all these like, uh, what do you call them? Uh, working men's clubs. Nice. Like cover versions. And they, they wanted a girl um, as a kind of token female. And because I played guitar, that was an added bonus. And um, so I joined them and we did these gigs, um, like playing these working men's clubs. Um, it was a long time ago. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then I remember coming down to London and auditioning um, one time. For, and I remember singing Peace of My Heart. And uh, I remember the guy was like, oh, he, he wanted to um, manage me. And he came to see my parents. But I was about to do my A-levels. So I was really, I had to make a choice. Like, and I, I, I think what would have happened is that it would have been a very commercial, I would have been marketed very commercially as you would have been as a woman in those days. So I'm not sure I made the wrong decision by deciding to pursue my A-levels. Because I think what would have happened was that this would have been around 1976, 78, 76. So in those days, um, I think if a manager in London said he wanted to manage you as a female artist, you would have been marketed in a very commercial way. Yes. So, so anyway, my commercial music career went down the pan because I decided to do my A levels, um, which I did, and uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. But in terms of musical influences, uh, I don't know. I, my my dad made me a stereo record player when I was a little girl for Christmas, and the first record I had was the Beatles. It was a single of the Beatles with We Can Work It Out on one side and Day Tripper on the other side. Right. And then the first albums I remember having were like Cat Stevens, Donovan, David Bowie Pinups, and uh, I can't remember what else. And then I remember having the Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles. I'm not a Beatles fan, but that was um, very in at the time. And what else? Were you, would, would one say you were quite a sensitive young person with that kind of, you know, uh, sort of slightly folky, lyrical, kind of heartfelt material that you were listening to? Um, yeah, I, I think, well, that's, at that age, yeah, I think I was. I mean, and then, um, yeah, I think I was. I can't remember... Oh, yeah, I think that, yeah. And then maybe around the age of 16, 17, I had a boyfriend who was a lot older than me um, and who um, listened to blues uh, like, oh, God, I'm trying to remember. And I remember, like, then I got into the more rock music and, like, blues music. And, uh, and so, yeah, but it, yeah. Yeah, it was just kind of interesting because I've done a lot of interviews with, I suppose, a lot of American bands from that late 70s, early 80s from New York. And I think 
the 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 sound that your band was making kind of has has a lot of you'd have probably been better suited in the, in New York than you were in probably the UK because you it was a bit more of an interesting sound wasn't it there was a lot more you know musical influences in the au pairs yeah i think yeah i, I yeah i think that people say punk band and we, i think that's just because we were playing in the era of punk um but I, I don't think that when you listen to the material, it necessarily, you, you go, oh, that's a great punk song. Some of the songs are more punky, I think, than others. Like Armar, I think, is more punk-like, but that's because it's loud, hard, fast. Mm. Um, but other songs like on the album, playing with a different sex, like It's Obvious or like... Um, Set up or uh, diet, or I think maybe you would could say they were rock, but I don't think you they necessarily come across as being punk, you know. No, you would have been probably best best suited on that. Um, was it Z Records in New York? Yes, the, that's with people what like James. Yes, I know you. Would, you would have been so cool. James and you were. Yes, oh. you, you had such a cool image as well. So um, yes, that would have helped. Did you ever play in America or Europe? Yeah, uh-huh. we got taken to America with the Gang of Four. Right. Um, and we did a tour with them, um, which was great fun. And really, we were so excited. We'd never been on aeroplanes before. <laughs> no, or had a passport. <laughs> no, exactly. And like, yeah, those were back in the days, God when you could smoke and get drunk on an aeroplane. <laughs> needless to say. We yeah, even, even fly the plane for a few, you know, hours. Yeah, yeah, we did, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we did our own tour of the States in our own right. Um, Who did you have supporting you on that? Oh, my God, I can't remember. You're going back a long time. Yeah, no, it was just that there was, there was quite a lot of bands like the... I think there's a band called The Human Sexual Response from Boston. There's another one called Pylon, which is kind of based in... I remember we knew, I remember that we were, I think we played gigs with the Bush Tetras. Oh, yes. Who um, just, who, and they've just reformed, actually, which was interesting. Have they? Are they yeah. all the original members? No, because most of them, some of them are dead. But they've got the bass uh, player. Is Laura who, dead? Pardon? Is Laura dead? Gosh, I'll have to. I'll do some research on that. But they've got the. I became quite good friends with them. In fact, stayed with them um, in New York. I stayed with Pat, and I remember watching, going to see Chaka Khan in New York, and going backstage with Cynthia. And I'll never forget because Cynthia got down on her knees and kissed Chaka Khan's hand, and uh, I was good friends with Laura. I stayed with Laura. Um, after everything, all the bands have split up. But I've got a terrible feeling that Laura has died. I've done an interview. I've done an interview with Pat and Cynthia, um, and also bizarrely, there was another member who was in that band who the drummer uh, died. He's definitely died. Um, the interesting thing with the Bush Tectras, just as on a positive note, the bass player is Cat, who was the original bass player with the Pogues. Oh, uh, then Laura must have passed away. I, I've got just got a strange feeling that she has, because I haven't seen, I've tried looking for her on Facebook, 
and there's nothing. Um, so I will, might have another look, but yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. They've got a bass player the, um, from the Pogues. And, and 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 the drummer who used to be in Sonic Youth. So there you go. It's, it's wow. So, Bloody um... hell! That they should go down a storm. <laughs> Maybe I'll so, get a support slot with them. That would be yes, great. that would be very that. nice, actually. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah, that's interesting. So just I know you know you're probably bored with the band, but then post band, <laughs> but but post band. Then did you have a few years in the wilderness before you then became you did your law degree? Yes, I I think I did. Um, I think I was wandering around um, like a lost soul, and I don't think I, as I say, I don't think I was very mentally um uh well um uh i was a bit like uh, fucked up but um yeah i i was i was a bit in the wilderness yeah i was a bit of a lost yeah yeah there weren't weren't very good years yeah were, were your family concerned about you were they feeling i, I probably but um I don't think they knew what to say or do, like a lot of um, parents. Um, yeah, that, you know, that was great, great, um, very good at like turning a blind eye to things that they don't want to see. Um, I just don't think they knew really how to, to cope with it, you know. Um, and I, I don't think they really wanted to. Um, yes. Yeah. So did, did you? Because did did you sort of? Because I know I did an interview many years ago with Viv L. Albertine, and she said she just didn't even want to listen to music anymore. It made her feel quite ill after the slits. Did you? Did you have a any feeling towards you know like music or your you know that period of being in the band that you just didn't want to look at or think about? Um. I don't remember feeling like that, no. But I don't. Um, what I do remember is that at some point I was in Amsterdam and Rotterdam, and uh, I do remember like doing crazy things. Like I remember a gay friend of mine. He had he was living on a boat in the port of Rotterdam, and I remember I hung out with him. And he would leave me on the boat. And I remember I would erected a mosquito net. And I would sit under this mosquito net. I erected it like a two, a, what do you call those tents? A and teepee. Sit, huh? A, a teepee? Yeah. I would sit under that and I would listen to people like Billie Holiday, Sarah Vaughan, and all these jazz singers. And I would just sit. And I was a bit out to lunch, really. And, um, yeah, and I um, would just sing along. Um, <laughs> God, that's quite worrying. That's quite a, yeah, worry. that's quite a, a worrying sight, actually. <laughs> and I had a, um, one of those, what do they call them? A recording thing. Well, it was a reel-to-reel, -reel, a mini reel-to-reel four-track. Yes. Or two tracks. And I remember I also, people were very nice to me in Holland that somebody gave me a really nice apartment, a huge, like with a huge room in it with a high ceiling. I had no furniture. 
um, and to stay in. And I, I, I remember like I had a guitar and I would make a, a terrible noise singing and playing the guitar. And I, I wish to, I knew what had happened to all the tapes. Yes, God, you could have. I, I would love to hear what I was doing. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, and I had a Walkman as well, which recorded, and it had a microphone that you attached to it. So when you put the earphones on, you had monitoring. So you could hear yourself, what you were saying through the speakers. So I would play and sing, and I wrote all these songs, and I recorded them on like cassettes. But I I don't know what happened to them. If somebody yes. thought, they'll be worth a lot of money when I die. Yeah. <laughs> the box set will be, yes, they'll be coming out for Christmas. Yeah. You should really, one should really hang on to these things. Well, yes, absolutely. The box in That's the attic can be perfect. Got did you... Go on. Sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say, did you sort of have addiction problems, you know, on either... No, alcohol? not really. Um, I was never a drug addict. I did take a lot of speed. Well, I say a lot, but in comparison with Iggy Pop and people like that, I think it was very lightweight. Um, mm. But uh, I did, I did like speed. But the main reason why I took speed is because I always felt like I was quite fat, and uh, it's just that thing that women, girls went through in those days. Um, I was very conscious of, of my body and like I felt like I was fat. Um, so speed was great because it stopped me eating. Mm. I did. It stopped me eating and it stopped my periods. I got, I got very, very thin. Um, I had to have a, quite a bad eating disorder. Um, but fortunately, I drank beer. So I wasn't completely without nourishment. No, you had you weren't dehydrated anyway. Yes, that but not healthy though. That was not a long no, time. No, but health in those days. I mean, we didn't even know what hair conditioner was. You know, mm. or toothpaste. It's no. like some. I read recently somewhere that people did drugs in those days, but nobody had told you. Like you can get things like hepatitis C or you can get blah, 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 or you get like sexual diseases or whatever from drugs, I mean, or whatever. It, it, the knowledge that there is around now just didn't exist then, you know. I mean, that's the Because in the, I mean, that period, you know, especially in New York and in, you know, the gay clubs in around America, you know, obviously AIDS. So was there ever, I mean, when you talk about sort of um, disease, I mean, that was obviously one of the the things that was sort of all over the 80s, really, wasn't it? You know, this. this yeah, that the, came later. Yeah. The yeah. gay plague, I think they referred to it as. So, yeah, that, yes. that came after we'd split up. But yeah, no, I didn't have a drink, a drug problem. Um, well, did I? I think if I did, um, I probably probably was semi addicted psychologically to speed or to things like speed, because again, it was to do with like being thin is the 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 best thing to be, mm. and so taking speed or diet pills was a way of um staying thin and i think i did have a eating disorder yeah yes so, i mean i've read lucy o'brien's book about karen carpenter 
And I can, some of the things that she did, like taking laxatives um, to purge, I mean, I, I did that. But I, obviously it wasn't as serious as with Karen Carpenter. It killed her. I mean, it was yes. very serious. It never got that serious. I mean, I love food. I think in the end, um, the, the desire for food. I mean, I am a foodie. I do love food. I'm not fat. Now I've got everything under control. But <laughs> yeah, as a young woman, a young woman, I uh, did have a complex about my body. And I did take stuff like speed and diet pills to... Um, Stop me eating to stay thin. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. so I don't know if that's you qualify that as a drug addiction, but it probably, yeah. And I mean, it did take me quite a long time to sort it out. I mean, even when I was doing my law degree, I was still taking diet pills, you know. Yes. Blimey, that's so amazing. I when still, did, when... And even to this day, I'm still very disciplined about you know um about like <laughs> what i eat i mean i eat really healthily now um yeah i mean yes. but i don't yeah so we all we all we've all become much more aware of our good gut bacteria aren't we let's face absolutely. it absolutely yeah, i've our... got a fridge full of smoothie and kefir and <laughs> Kombucha, uh, kale, and you all sorts of healthy. I'm so proud of my fridge. Yes, absolutely. No, I'm. I'm. I'm yes, absolutely. You know, that's the, it's a window to our souls, really. So, when did you suddenly put your application form in for university to do this this degree? Was this still the 80s, or had you drifted yeah, into? Yeah, I think it was um, about 1985. I think I got my law degree in around 1988. Um, so it takes three years to do a degree. So it would have been in 1985. Yeah, which I find odd because I was searching for pictures of myself and I found a picture of someone who is supposed to be me playing in Berlin in 1985. And I'm, I'm just thinking, was I in Berlin in 1985? I suppose I could have been in, I mean, 12 months in 1985. I could have been in Berlin. I don't remember being in Berlin in 1985. But I would have started my law degree yes. in 1985. So, yeah. And, so, had your, and had that kind of political period from the late 70s, early 80s, had that, was that a big kind of, drive for your you know your career post you know law degree um it was I wouldn't say it was a drive I was I'm not a particularly great barrister I'm not a, a brilliant barrister I'm not like I'm just not like a lot of barristers um and I don't hang out with barristers so I found my niche in the 90s doing immigration law and there was an awful lot of asylum cases, refugees, like from like uh, DRC, from a lot of African countries, um, Pakistan. Um, yeah, and that I found my niche doing that because that taught 
me a lot about the human rights situations in those countries mm. um and uh so uh, which what it kind of sort of sat with my political um values and beliefs so um representing refugees um was what i started out doing i started out doing criminal defense but then switched into doing um refugee law so that's how i started off as an immigration lawyer yes. was, yeah and also then they brought in public funding so you could get legal aid refugees could get legal aid they can't now I mean, they can just about, but uh, there's very little legal aid around now. Right, you were you were there at the golden period, weren't you? I was indeed, and um, yeah. So that's how I. So yeah, that's how I found my niche. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure what would have happened with me and the law. I think perhaps I would have managed to carry on doing criminal defence because defending people who are accused of crimes <laughs> yes and one thing you know can, i suppose can be quite political be, there being a correlation between poverty and crime and crime yes absolutely and and one thing that i've noticed and i guess you might have done as well in the last five years see it, often things take quite a few decades before we reappraise them or revalue them and and suddenly you know everyone's sudden you know like the 60s have been sort of analyzed you know to death and now the 70s and now a lot more stuff on the 80s especially the indie scene because i think one of the you know a writer brought out a book on the c86 didn't he nige tassel um, did a book on that and then Rob you know John Rob's done his goth book and Kathy Unsworth and and lots of photographic books and people are writing their memoirs of the That's 80s right, yeah the, the 80s period does you know seeing you know the interest in your band did that was that a bit of a surprise when people kind of come you know yeah start... really big surprise I mean I honestly thought like when we split up and then the others Paul and Pete Jane left the band first she left um that when Paul and Pete said they didn't want to do it anymore I just thought well that's it that now that's just like the end I mean and the material that was you know that the, the um the, the record had um gained some recognition but that was over do you know what I mean so yeah I was very surprised when there was this whole re and it seems like what you're talking about, this whole um, rekindled interest and enthusiasm for um, music that was the music from that period. Yeah, I was like, wow, it's incredible. Yes. <laughs> and I think what's happening now is that that, if you, I don't know if it's right to call it a wave of nostalgia or what, um, it's going back even further to bands like um, bands in the period before that, like um, Hawkwind, like mm -hmm. the 70s, you know, rock music. It seems like the wave is going back, like, so it, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yes. Well, I think, you know, there's there's the kind of obvious bands and the narrative and the stories that have been told. 
And now people are sort of digging under the surface a lot more. And also there is the gender thing as well. I think a lot of people have started wanting to say, what about the women in the bands? And what about the women singers that we haven't heard about? And so there's been quite a few books. A woman, somebody just brought out a book on um, American punk, you know, the women in American punk from 1975 to 1983 has just been, you know, has just come out. And and then there was another book, which is, um, he says, leaning over. This one, which is about factory records and the women in factory records, because oh. no one and and sort of no one's heard that side of the story. So the narrative yeah. is uh, is being sort of, you know, just added to. It hasn't been rewritten, but people are saying, "Well, what about those people?" And it's like, "Oh yes, that's a good point. Sorry, we forgot about them." We yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, they seem to have been over the last what? How long? Uh, Ten years, maybe more books written about women in punk like the one what was the one revenge of the sheep punks yes um, i think lucy o'brien did a book about yeah, yeah um and there have been others i mean i for a period i would get emails from a, quite a lot of people who were doing um books and theses on the, that subject women in punk yeah, and I, I did quite a few interviews. I did so many interviews. That That's why I got a little bit, oh, not that again. <laughs> oh, can we talk about something else, please? Yes, yeah. well, absolutely. I could imagine. You know, that's that's one of those things. You, you end up feeling like a record got stuck. You know? This is true. This is true. <laughs> did you? I mean, with with the band, I mean, all the material that you've recorded has has sort of come out with, you know, bonus tracks and it... And material, yeah. you know, there is nothing left of the band. Do you do do you anybody ever communicate with each other, or is that no? To... No, I have nothing to do with the re-releases. If I had some of the material on it, would never have seen the light of day. I am just completely embarrassed by it. I only take comfort from it in the way because I have heard some dreadful stuff that Van Morrison recorded. And I just think, well, that sounds bloody awful. And <laughs> so I just think, well, he's put out rubbish. So if he's, you know, done it, anyone can. Um, yeah, I had no say in that. It's just, I think it's Paul and Pete. I think they're just wringing it for every drop of whatever they, they need from it. And uh, I just find it incredibly embarrassing. Yes. No, it can be a bit a bit weird. I mean, did you? And also, I get very angry about the fact they didn't consult or ask me. You know, would you like this to go on the album, Leslie? And you know, that's oh, just really you made me so cross because you know, it's stuff that you've written. It's crap that you've written, and they've taken control of it, and oh, it makes me mad. <laughs> yes well i think that's one of the tricky bits about um and you must have um, delved into it you know because i've having spoken to so many bands people in bands understanding the legality the publisher and the ownership of music is is mm. still a bit of a trip isn't it and um and it's something that as a fan one never understood you just thought it must be brilliant being in a band you'd have this great experience yeah. but then you realize there's this kind of legal document or documents that... oh god yeah there's a lot more stuff out there now about you know having these things agreed in writing before you you know 
not like we did. Oh, it's all great. It's all really good fun. We all love each other. Let's just do everything equally, equal shares, equal shares. Um, yeah, I didn't know at the time what I know now. I know a lot more now. Yes. Um, uh, um, and I, yeah, um, but yeah, you have to sort that out. And unfortunately, it's it's difficult because it's like, it's a tension. It's almost like you're getting married to someone and you're suggesting having a prenup, you know. It's, it's like, it's not, it's like, it's very delicate matter. You know, we love each other. What's mine is yours. <laughs> Until, you know, we, we, we hate each other and we split up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is obviously sensible, but it is a delicate matter. I mean, I think if I'd said to the others, I wrote these songs, I want the writer's rights. They would have said, right, fuck off. We're not going to play with you. That's yes. probably what. So, although it would never have occurred to me to say that because I didn't realize or understand or appreciate that as the songwriter, I had special rights that were very distinct and distinguishable from the recording rights. Um, so, I would never have said that anyway. But if I had, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they'd have turned around and said. Although they would have still got the recording royalties and the their share of the recording advance, they just wouldn't have got the publishing royalties. Yes. And they, so, I, did. I mean, yeah. Yes. I tried to get them back. I asked them if I could have my songs back. Um, and that was at a point when there hadn't been this resurgence. I thought, that's it. Okay, it's dead and done. I might like to... Uh, re-record those songs with other people nothing there was no at that point in time everybody had forgotten the au pairs so I thought they would give them back to me but they didn't they didn't they dug their heels in and now according to them um, Jane wrote the melodies and Pete wrote the lyrics <laughs> <laughs> just makes me laugh right Blimey. So what do you, what, what, so what were your, apart from singing, what was your contribution? Well, I wrote the songs and I wrote the structures and, uh, well, yeah, I mean, someone has to lead um, in a band or, or somebody has to lead. I'm not saying it always has to be the same person. I mean, in a lot of bands, like you don't, one person doesn't write all the songs. Maybe everyone writes. Maybe two people write. Um, maybe two people take the lead um, in, in terms of structuring the material. But in the au pairs, there was a, um, well, it sounds like I'm being big headed, but somebody had to take the lead. You know, somebody had to direct it, you know, and uh, sort of like put, get the structure. So, yeah, somebody had to. Um, yes, yeah. well, I, I guess it's a bit like the David Bowie thing, isn't it? He, he, I mean, he, yeah, he, he certainly took the lead and had the ideas and had, you know, the musicians. Exactly. To, uh, it, I um, mean, though, the, all the songs came out of my head. They were written about things that, uh, like Pete says, we wrote about everything. We wrote about curb crawling. It's like, what do you, what are you talking about? 
you didn't write about curb crawling. You didn't write about prostitutes. You would never have written a song about, and you've never written a song in your life. You know, it's like, but yeah, have it your way. Honestly, I don't really care because there's not, we're not talking massive amounts of money. And I think everyone knows really that the songs were written by me. I think, you know, you can, I think you can tell that they were written by a woman for a start. Yes, um, I think diet was definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And uh, I would imagine that if anyone who knows the au pairs material knows that I wrote the songs, I wrote the songs that make the world go round. <laughs> <laughs> but like I say, that we're not talking about songs that like were major hits and made massive thousands and billions of dollars or whatever. So it doesn't really matter, does it? No, but I, it was interesting because last week I did an interview with a guy he was in, you know, America, and they put on this kind of um, punk weekend at the Las Vegas. It's punk bowling, and this amazing lineup of bands. I just wondered if, if you, with this new resurgence in the next month, um, with the chameleons, whether you might be getting more tempted to do, you know, gigs further afield now that people. A, oh yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I really would. I'd love to, but um, I don't. Yeah, it depends. I mean. It depends if people like the material or think that there's anything worth, I don't know, you know, people might not like it. They might think it's a load of bollocks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I mean my game, my short-term game plan is to do this tour, uh, see if I can get more gigs, see if I can get a record contract, and then depending on what might happen, and then I think that would be the right time. I would certainly feel more confident at that point in terms of uh, getting other people to come and play with me or play with other people. I mean, because I haven't done it for so long, I mean, the, the thing is, a lot of it is about b becoming confident about playing in front of people. Yes. You know? Um, even when the au pairs started off, I didn't have that confidence. It was only through doing gigs repeatedly that I became confident and much more brazen and much more um, comfortable being on stage in front of people. But um, unless you're a real show-off, egotistical extrovert, uh, or have been trained to, to act and be extrovert, uh, um, I think that's quite a difficult thing to do. You know? Yes. Do you, do you, did you I, have I to, did you have to find it difficult? I was wondering yeah. if you had to get into a character a bit like the Bowie experience. He, you know, he went from David, David Jones to, you the, know, David yeah. Bowie. Did you? Um, I, I mean, I would love to be able to do that, but I don't feel I've got the training to do that. I've, honestly, I've, I've said to my friends, I'm wondering if I should go and have acting lessons or some kind of coaching um, because I actually, I, with my friends, I'm very, I can be very extrovert, very funny, but I mean, I'm, I'm excited about doing these gigs, but um, and I think once I get into doing it. Um, I'd be a lot more comfortable, but I'm feeling quite nervous, you know, 
These are the biggest gigs I've done in God knows how many years. And um, I mean, I'm quite nervous. I mean, I keep saying to people, I hope no one comes while I'm playing. <laughs> Chalk, no, you'll love it, actually. I I mean, you know, I know Taylor, Taylor, Taylor's... <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, you will love it. It will be like, oh, this will be a resurgence. Did you ever sort of think, you know, if you do get a band together and, you know, progress a bit of re-recording any of the opairs, you know, into a yes, style? I will have to give them different names. I would, I would, I would love to do a revamped version of It's Obvious, but I'd have to give it a different name. Um, and uh, I've also revamped Sex Without Stress, which is a song that was on the second album, which I don't think was uh, ever really finished. I don't think the material on the second album was ever really finished. I think it was all works in progress, but we didn't have the money or the time to finish them. Um, but I've reworked Sex Without Stress. I think it's much better. I think the lyrics are much better. I would like to, yeah, re-record that. I'd have to give it a different name because of the way the um, writers, the publishing rights are re registered. Um, otherwise, the others will get the, the royalties from it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Yeah. And the recording royalties as well. So if, if I re-recorded those songs with different people, those people would be rightfully entitled to be paid for their contribution. So in order to make sure they get a contribution, I have to make sure that the others don't get their contribution. So I would have to retitle the songs, like Sex Without Stress Part 2. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, the, the yes, the latter years. Yeah, and you and when you kind of get a, you know, a, hear a young band covering a number by, you know, that you've written over 40 years ago, does that give you a little bit of like, Oh my God, a bit of a wibbly wobbly. That's just mind boggling thought. Oh, I think that's really flattering. I think it's, yeah, um, I think that's really nice um, that they, they do that. There is one band in Brighton who did a cover of It's Obvious, and it's a really nice cover. They get the lyrics wrong, but that's a, a couple of times, but that's understandable. Um, yeah, I think it's really sweet and really nice. I think it's cool. Yes, that is fantastic. So on the on the music front, it sounds all good. Have you, is the career, have you sort of, has that tailed down or is that still as? My legal work. Yes. Yeah, I'm trying to, yeah, I am tailoring it down. I mean, I'm getting, I would, I'd love to just stop now. I've been doing it a long time and um, it was really a means to an end. I mean, I've you know, always really valued being independent and I've always recognised that being independent, unfortunately, no matter how right on, how communist or how socialist you are, in order to be independent, you need money. Um, and being a lawyer, a barrister, an immigration barrister, I I do earn more money than I would do doing a lot of other things. But I don't work very often. I do need money at the moment to pay the rent, and I'm still paying the mortgage. I'm in shared ownership. I won't bore you with my financial issues, but um, I can't afford to, to retire yet. 
Right. I'd love to retire. I mean, if I could do a support gig, like the support, the tour I'm doing with the comedians, I'm getting paid reasonably well. If I could do a support tour like that every, like 11 dates every two weeks, I could actually give up the law for the most part and just do, then just do music. But I'm, well, yeah, and just, which I would love to do because it's just much, it gives me much more pleasure. The creative process is just much more fun. It's just so nice when you, it, write lyrics and you think oh god that sounds lovely or that sounds great or i really like that it's such a buzz yes you know? and um unfortunately i don't really get a buzz i mean I, when i win a case for someone who is a really deserving client i get a buzz and i'm like great result brilliant hug hug but yeah um but yeah, it's just so dry, the law. You know, it's very dry. Yeah, I can you imagine. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's not like you're it's sort not of. the same as the creative process, painting or anything. It's, it's, it's. And like I say, I started doing it because I had gone mad. I needed <laughs> to get my mind back. Yes. You were one of those rock and roll survivors, really, aren't you? Um, I hope so. Yeah. I'll have to get... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am. I well, it was. It... I don't, you know, and that first date in Liverpool, which is obviously going to be quite the moment. I mean, do you? Is that something that you sort of have to sort of play out in your mind to sort of build yourself up for that kind of? Right, you're on. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And also because I'm on my own. Um, yeah, I am, yeah. It's okay, I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> yes, I mean, the audience, I mean, interesting I'll enough. I'll garlands. I'll get completely soddled. I'll come on and fall down. I'll probably get a lot of publicity, won't I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it wouldn't be the... I mean, it would be a long two-week tour, won't it, if you, you know, okay. sort of... You'll have to go yeah, to rehab after. The tour. Yeah. 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 No, I'm I'm really excited about it. I really want to do it. It's like it's like something it's quite personal. Like, yeah, I can do this. I've been to I went to see um Lucinda Williams recently at the Barbican, um, who is American and she's 69. Um and she's um she's a great lyricist. She writes the most beautiful, wonderful songs. And she came on stage. She usually plays guitar. She wasn't playing guitar. And she just came on stage without a guitar because she just recently had a stroke. But, I mean, it, it, I just find things like that so encouraging, you know. Like, yes. she's 69. She's just had a fucking heart attack. She's up on stage and she stayed on stage for an hour and a half, you know, played to a packed-out audience at the Barbican. And that was just so great. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, no artist over the age of, you know, it just wasn't done. I know. This is true. I know. This is, I mean, I think there's sometimes one of those kind of issues, don't they, when they're doing the lineup of festivals and, you know, it's a gender imbalance and trying to rebalance. And an age imbalance as well. Like, 
you know, we have a law against age discrimination. And because there is an issue in society about discriminating against older people, people are getting younger or staying alive longer because obviously we make advances and progress in health and whatever. And so that means that, well, the, the, the 60 is the new 50, 50 is the new 40, so on and so forth, you know? Yes. Yeah, I'm you... 25, man. <laughs> and with your with your sort of um gym work have you did you get a personal trainer for, did you get a personal no, no, trainer no. i do not go to the gym i lift weights at home so i do 50 of those i do as many as i can of those and as many as i can of those i go for about 15 minutes jog and i do a bit of yoga that's it i don't right. sweat it man i don't sweat it <laughs> and the plank do you do the plank no i do not i'm rude <laughs> i'm talking about core stability that's you know doing that kind I of thing i suppose i should go to the gym but the tour starts in a few weeks and i don't think anything radicals i mean i've always been quite um conscious of like having exercise you know um i've been do going jogging for years now and um um doing yoga yeah but um I, I don't like to get too sweaty <laughs> no but just well you might do you know during this tour though so um... i know i mean when i'm rehearsing i'm like it's hot <laughs> yes you're gonna have to get a big wardrobe aren't you i need someone to come on and fan me this is true, actually. Oh, just a sort of personal, a person who can just kind of, you can do one of those quick sort of, um, yeah, change of outfits halfway through a song. Yeah, or... like Diana Ross. No, who does that? I who don't know. But... Who changed outfits a lot during her set? One ball gown after Well, another. I guess Cher, Cher's probably one of the people who <laughs> would do that, and Beyonce and people like that. So I guess it's that kind of moment, isn't it, really, where you'll have to... Yeah, Las Vegas, here I come. <laughs> this is true, actually. Anyway, look, looking forward to seeing you in Norwich. So this is very exciting. And that, dear listener, is going to be the end of the interview. And that was me with um, Leslie Woods, one-time member of the Au Pairs, who's going to be touring with the Chameleons very soon. In fact, the 20th of June into early July 2023. And this is the uh, C86 Show. I'm David East. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these interviews have been archived. Aren't you lucky? So uh, you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Have a great week. Stay safe.